Welcome to Media Path. I'm Fritz Coleman. And I am Louise Palanker. Here at Media Path, we cherry pick viewing, reading, and listening options. So you don't have to get carpal tunnel scrolling through the endless offerings. And so your valuable free time doesn't become a time suck. We've got some great suggestions for you today and some really interesting guests. First, we're going to have Dr. Janine Bernstein. She's a mental health professional. She's written books to help you climb out of whatever malaise you find yourself in post-pandemic and otherwise. At the end of this podcast, you will be happier and more buoyant. Thanks to Dr. Jeannie Bernstein. And we also have Mindy Sterling. I love Mindy Sterling unconditionally. She exploded into the public consciousness in her Austin Powers trilogy performances. She's done so many things in her rich show business career that IMDB is going to start charging her rent. I've never seen so many credits. Mindy and Janine will be with us in just a few minutes. Wheezy, what do you have for us this week? Oh, well, I'm catching up with a Netflix series from 2020 called Hollywood. Ah. Yeah, it's a difficult one to Google because there's other search results for that word. <laughs> In post-World War II Hollywood, an ambitious group of aspiring actors and filmmakers are tremendously eager to realize their showbiz dreams and their actions to that end often include compromising their own compasses. Creators Ryan Murphy and Ian Brennan depict a time when most gay people were closeted and their physical and emotional needs were met through clandestine transactional encounters that were often procured for them at locations that hid their activities in plain sight. For example, a gas station where if you drove in and asked to be taken to dreamland, you were presented with a sexual partner of your choosing. The cast of characters are mostly fictional, but for the sake of authenticating the generalities depicted, Rock Hudson is among them. From there, the piece diverges into a fan fiction frolic in which one plucky studio makes diversity and inclusion decisions which change the course of history. The groundbreaking fictional studio is headed by two strong and capable women giving us Patti Lapone and Holland Taylor in the same series. Much of this alternately presented Hollywood history may have been inspired by a book called Full Service, My Adventures in Hollywood and the Secret Sex Lives of the Stars by Scotty Bowers. Scotty's deliciously scandalous book became a documentary called Scotty and the Secret History of Hollywood, which you'll find now on Hulu and on Prime. Scotty Bowers was a former Marine who landed in Hollywood after World War II and became a legendary escort and sexual procurer to closeted gay celebrities. Scotty was called Hollywood's gentleman hustler or the pimp to the stars who needed their orientations to remain hidden. Liaisons with top producers launched careers for some of Scotty's employees, the irony being that having sex with the right person could get you work and having sex with the wrong person could ruin you. In the doc, Scotty seems to be completely immune to the shame or shock most humans in most societies construct around sex. He was molested as a kid and claims he was fine with it, quickly realizing that he could make money offering himself up. So why not? Okay, that sounds disturbing to our ears because we know that sexualizing children is traumatic. Scotty employed coping mechanisms that seemed to work for him, owning the behavior rather than allowing it to own him. But the actual truth may be hiding within the clutter in his home. Scotty was a hoarder. The Scotty character in the Netflix Hollywood series is depicted by Dylan McDermott. The cast also includes Rob Reiner, Darren Chris, and Jim Parsons is brilliant as the real-life sadistically self-indulgent cutthroat journalist turned agent with mob ties, Henry Wilson. 
It's an if-only story that encourages us to take stock in how far we've come in all walks of life, not just Hollywood, and how much further we need to travel in acceptance, inclusion, representation, understanding, and empathy. I saw Scotty, the documentary. Oh, did you? It was fascinating. Absolutely. And, and what kills me, first of all, I found out a lot of, uh, well, I'll say alleged uh, uh, gay stars, Catherine Hepburn and all these people were revealed very openly in that. And that was okay. But what I found was fascinating was here are these stars that are bazillionaires and they had to, because of the closed nature of morality in Hollywood, they had to go to a gas station and whisper the secret word and somebody, you know, came out of a, 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 a stock room and got in the car and they went off and had a sexual encounter. These are, you know, wasn't there a, a more dignified way to find a sexual partner? Apparently not. Well, you wanted to find a partner who wasn't going to talk. So if there was some, like if you found a date somewhere at some party that was private and Mm -hmm. the person had sex with Spencer Tracy, you didn't want them maybe going to the press and saying, I just had sex with Spencer Tracy. So uh, it's so tricky. It's so tricky. Yeah. Yeah. That was the other shock. Spencer Tracy, I couldn't believe it because I always loved him so much because he reminded me of my father until I learned the fact that he was... You know, now we know. Who cares? It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't it's matter just, to me at all. No, it's it, just I just sad. thought it was fascinating. It's sad for him during his lifetime that he had to live two identities. Yeah, exactly. All right, I'm going to talk about a National Geographic's documentary that shows up on Hulu right now and Disney+. Plus. It's called Fire of Love. It's the story of two French volcanologists that are studiers of volcanoes. They're named Katia and Maurice Kraft. They met through their common obsession with volcanoes. They got married and were never apart for the rest of their lives, including on the dangerous lips of active volcanoes all over the world. They chased these various eruptions for 20 years. This film is a couple of things. First of all, it's a mind-blowing collection of footage, up close and personal, of active volcanoes. And when the Earth regurgitates its 2,000-degree magma, the surrounding landscape, uh, landscape gets painted by what looks like thick red acrylic paint. It's both extremely beautiful and beautifully destructive. Secondly, it's a great love story. Most of the footage is just these two people, alone, tiny figures against a a fiery backdrop. It suggests what every relationship really is, two people against nature. Their demise was sort of Shakespearean. While observing a volcano in 1991, they were overtaken and killed by a violent eruption. This film was compiled from all their archival footage by friends who wanted the legacy of Katya and Maurice to live on, and it will, because apparently their videos and their studies really advanced the science of volcanoes it was very touching i you know i'm not particularly interested in science there, there you go it's a, it's a great they would walk right up and stick their feet in it it was unbelievable wow interesting though very interesting it's all it's like one of those fables about daring to tempt nature or assume that you have some sort of control or power over that's a really good point it's like nova with a human soul you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not just antelopes getting ravaged by a cougar. It's, it, you know, it's it's science, but with a human touch. It's a really Shakespearean beautiful. ending. All right, let's introduce our fantastic guest, Janine Bernstein. Dr. Janine Bernstein is an on-air personality, a mental health professional, a researcher, a voice actor. She can be heard on KUCI 88.9 in Irvine. She graduated from Syracuse University, go Orange Men, and got her doctorate at Boston University. She, st- she started Get the Funk Out on KUCI. 
WCI years ago after the passing of a friend. I'm looking forward to hearing that story. She's written a book by the same name, Get the Funk Out, Shit Happens, and What to Do Next. She's also written another book, which is soon to be released, called Better Humans, What the New Health Pandemic Teaches Us About Humans. That sounds fascinating. I welcome you, Dr. Bernstein. We were on your podcast and had a great time. It was a great conversation. It was a great conversation. Thank you for having me. Uh, let me just say something to you. I hope you're not offended by this. We, we don't have a human resources department here on this podcast, so I can't be cited for what I'm about to say to you. But Dr. Bernstein, I looked at your website, and there you sit astride a motorcycle in your black leather, and I think, what <laughs> disorder do I have to proclaim to become your patient? <laughs> it, wow. No, it's a, it's a great photograph. And I'm only saying that because we were guests on your show, and it's so. And I've been in radio all my life, and I still can't get over the disparity between listening to a person's voice but not knowing what they look like, and then when you see them, it's a complete shock. Anyway, it's, And it's a lovely surprise. Are you completely shocked? Wait a minute. Because she's beautiful. <laughs> no, no, you know. Oh, it's, no, it's not, it's not that it's better. It's different. You know, it's, it, you know, I don't know what I thought. You're, you're very professional and everything, and I expected a large class. Thank you and hit my knuckles with a ruler or something. So I love the title of your book, Get the Funk Out. Now, we're not talking about James Brown, Parliament, Funkadelic. Funk is, as you describe it, a feeling of despair and uncertainty and depression and anxiety. And you launched right. a radio show with that name after the loss of your friend. Please, please, if you don't mind, share that story with us. Sure. So I was born in Connecticut, grew up in Connecticut, New York City. But when I was in Connecticut growing up, I had a best friend, Shannon. And um, we didn't spend a lot of time together after we graduated, but we stayed in touch. And I found out at the end of 2010 that she had passed away suddenly. And I was horrified. I, I, I could not function. I had so much grief. You know, it's that feeling where you're so inside your head, people can be talking to you and you don't hear anything. And the only way to really process it was to take a year off from being at KUCI because I was a DJ at the time. I had a music show called Moms Rock the House. <laughs> and I took a year off and I just moved through my grief to process it. And I decided to come back and do a talk show called Get the Funk Out. At the time when my dad was alive, he said to me, you can't call it that. <laughs> and maybe he misheard me. Um, and he, he was the king of the F-bomb, by the way. Which, so I said, <laughs> yes, I can. I can call it whatever I want. And uh, anyway, so the show took off and it was a way for me to move through grief. But also it was amazing because the guests I had on, they were sharing their stories or their films or their books or whatever. And I gave them a platform and it was this time to really heal, but also learn from other people. I think so, one of the factors in losing someone that you're not quite in touch with or haven't hadn't been in touch with is a sense of guilt that you should have reached out more. So talk about that a little bit to absolve people of some of, of some of those feelings. You know, it's so interesting you say that because I did feel a sense of guilt and that I hadn't spent enough time or hadn't connected enough and um, you know, that's a normal emotion, but it's not always rational. And and it's a very hard thing to understand, but you can beat yourself up over a lot of things in life, but you don't have control of, over somebody's thoughts and actions a lot of the time, unless you're part of that problem. And and I will say this, I I went off and I started 
reaching out to the different people she had been engaged to or people in her family because I wanted to find out what was what had transpired mentally what was going on Mm -hmm. and it really over time and some people didn't want to talk to me by the way um, but it was the people that that did speak to me the things they said or didn't say and I thought wow my friend just really like anyone else wanted to be loved she just wanted love and some of these people didn't do her right, you know, and it, it just it was a very interesting journey. And I when you lose someone, a friend from childhood, you're never going to get over it. And that's OK. You just take little small steps each day and you take the best care of yourself because that's really what matters. You have great little nuggets in your book uh, sort you. of uh, that that follow what you're saying right there. You have one that says the worst thing that ever happened to you could turn out to be the best thing that ever happened to you. I have an example of that. Mm-hmm. So my dad was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer in 2015, August, 2015. And I knew when I would visit him that something was wrong. I I would get phone calls that he was in the hospital. So he passed away four months later. I was flying back and forth from California to Florida because they had just moved. And I came home, I wrote the eulogy on the plane. I was the only one to speak at the funeral. I came back, I had handwritten this in a notebook because I always travel with a notebook when I write. And I moved in with my dad at 16. He was he really helped me academically just learn how to ask for help and get my life together because I my mom asked me to leave at 16. Oh my goodness. So, so long story short, uh, I wrote the eulogy with humor because he taught me humor. He, he also showed me character voices. I didn't know he was so funny. What did your father do for a living? He had nine careers. Wow. He he was an accountant. He owned a woman's clothing line at 1407 Broadway in New York. He was in construction on and on and on. He was in the he was supposed to be in the World Trade Center on 9-11. Wow. That morning his appointment was canceled. So he had all his careers. But what I did was I came home, I submitted the eulogy to the New York Times. And I thought, this is his favorite newspaper. I'm going to submit this because they had a section called The Lives We Loved, and it's still online. And they they posted it. I mean, they post everyone's, but it was my way of giving him a shout out in Mm -hmm. one of his favorite newspapers, Mm -hmm. as my favorite newspaper as well. And it's kind of launched my writing career. Hmm. Oh, my goodness. So yeah. that was a catalyst for that. What a, it what was. a gift. I've always loved to write. Yeah. But what a gift, because I, I, in, in a lot of ways, it feels like your dad was guiding you towards that. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So yeah. talk about, you've got two books. Talk about, uh, the first one is Get the Funk Out, and then talk about the new one a little bit and tell us, you know, what, it's not out yet, but tell us what we're about to experience. Sure. So- The second book is called Better Humans, What the Mental Health Pandemic Teaches Us About Humanity. And I am a very empathetic person to the point of I could cry when I hear stories from strangers. And just like the first book, I decided I would interview people that are have been going through various levels of despair, anxiety, depression, et cetera, et cetera, 
And so the book, I feature some teachers, mental health advocates, Gen Z, mental health professionals. And we look at, we have these conversations about how did we get here? How do we, why was there a mental health crisis before a pandemic? And how did COVID exacerbate this existing problem? And now we're in a mental health pandemic. And where are the flaws, the cracks of this neglected system of our society? And how can we do better? And I I believe that the pandemic if you are paying attention, you realize a lot about yourself and you realize a lot about humanity. In California, we had the added problem of uh, because of who was in charge of our politics in the 80s, the state help for mental health uh, issues was done away with, which is part of the problem with our increased homeless crisis now. So mm-hmm. we, we we have, I don't know if it's this bad in other states, you, you might know the answer to that, but I do know that during the Reagan administration, when they did away with, with state hospitals and places where people can go get mental health, that, uh, that, that was the beginning of the increase in homelessness and what you're describing is the mental health pandemic. When do you think the mental health pandemic started? You said it was before COVID. Well, I think people were calling it a mental health crisis before COVID. Then with COVID, if you think about, you have these pre-existing problems, right? Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's, you've already lost a job or maybe you lost your job in COVID. Maybe you lost a spouse. There's so many levels of loss. Children have lost parents. And then they're expected sometimes to go back to school and it's just business as usual. That's impossible. And it seemed like there was always this article about, wow, look at academic scores. They're so low. Well, duh, of course they are. And I'll be straight with you. I was a DF student growing up and I tell students when I give talks, your scores and your grades predict nothing. Exactly. Absolutely nothing. Where were you 70 years ago is what I want to know. No, you're absolutely right. You're a hundred percent right. Yeah. And what what are some of the uh, COVID blessings? Because it seems like there were increasing opportunities for people to reach out online, to seek therapy online. There were apps that were created. Is, is, is any of that helping or are there resources where people can just sit down right now as they're listening to this and Google something that would offer help? Well, originally I heard, which would surprise me, so 988 was passed really quickly in in Congress, right? But if you look, there are other policies that they don't get passed. Maybe they're passed by the House. I really educated myself through writing this book. I'm like, I didn't understand how things get passed and how quickly, how slowly or never. And so there are things that really should take precedent and they don't. And so I think, for instance, social media, that's been detrimental to the mental health of today's youth. Okay. Phones, the amount of phone usage where you think your son or daughter, they're okay, but they're really submersed. They're taking a deep dive into social media. And I really believe it's the wild west of social media. So yes, there are amazing, wonderful things that happened during pandemic on TikTok with you see kids with their grandparents and they're dancing or they're making things or they're laughing or whatever. But there's also the bad side of it is that people spent so much time being socially isolated that now they have to be back in person and they don't really want to be. 
And also the addictive quality of it, especially for kids, which is definitely really bad. Yes. I want to get back. I get back to one or two of the nuggets that you uh, hand out in your book. Another one is you say that we're sometimes so mired in the malaise of our daily lives that we can't see that whatever problems we have are only temporary. That's always my problem. It seems like the end of the, everything seems like the end of the world, and we don't cut ourselves a break and saying tomorrow is a better day. Right. Right. It really comes down to being so thoughtful to yourself, having a routine like we all brush our teeth, hopefully. Okay, well, you can make time in your day perhaps to take that 10-minute walk, 20-minute walk. Like build in routines where you can be more mindful and take care of yourself and maybe turn your phone off or maybe you make a phone call to a relative because I always say to people like, don't text or email somebody, pick up the phone or send a letter. You know, it's really a time to turn back to kind of old school because there's nothing more special than hearing the sound of somebody's voice. And also you talk about creative expression in whatever form and doing something for someone else, being Mm -hmm. kind, reaching out, being of service. It could be to a cousin or it could be to someone you don't know, but those are the things that take us out of our own head and make us feel like we're a part of a community and that we matter. Mm -hmm. You bet. Because you could be having the worst day, but when you forget about that for a moment and you go help your neighbor, you see your neighbor struggling to get out of their car with their groceries or they've fallen. This has all happened to us. And you go help somebody else who's lonely because a lot of people that are older that are retired were pushed to safety because of COVID and socially isolated, well, that causes depression Mm -hmm. and that's not good. I, if I, if I could, I have a brief story to share with you. Yes. Has to do with donuts. Well, then I'm in. (laughs) Okay. You're in. So years ago I used to eat all kinds of donuts and I don't anymore. Um, My daughter had called me up and she said, Oh, I'm having this really bad day at school and it's Monday. And I went to the local donut place and they messed up my order And they didn't give me a receipt because the computers are down. And I said, well, all you have to do is go back with your bag, your items and say, excuse me, this is not my order. I just want credit. So I said, we're going to be running errands. We'll go do that. We pull up at four o'clock and they said, we're closed at the drive-thru. I said, well, I just want to get my daughter's money back because she didn't get a receipt, blah, blah, blah. We're closed. I said, but I, well, we're closed. Well, this really nice employee was listening. He was about 18 at the time. He said, you know, thank you for not yelling. He said, of course, we'll give you your money back. And to thank you, would you like some donuts? You got money and donuts? Excuse me? Money and donuts in this deal? Money and donuts. Oh, my goodness. Okay, go ahead. That should be running the company. (laughs) Should I have texted you? (laughs) Yes, you should have. Okay, Let, let me hear more. Right. Okay, so I said, no, thank you. I really don't want the donuts. He said, please, I wanted, I want to do something. I said, no, no, just, you know, give her money back. He said, could you do me a favor and pull around to the back, to the side door? I want to show you something. So we pull around, he opens up the back door and there is a cart floor to ceiling of items. I must've been looking at 300 items. He says, every day this goes in the trash. He said, can you please take some donuts and go feed people that are experiencing homelessness? Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I would show up about five days a week. Oh, really? 
with my daughters at closing, I felt like Robin Hood. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and I, st- I called it the care initiative because you're focusing on connection, on attention to mental health, on resilience, on educating people on homelessness or other issues. So, and it, you know what? I needed to open up my bubble as well mm-hmm. and go do some good in the world. Especially so when you find out that taking donuts can be of service. Yes. <laughs> right. It's the simplest thing, right? <laughs> well, yeah. But okay. I mean, but that's just genius because it almost feels like that encounter was meant to be because you were the right person to receive it and to Doesn't understand it? the responsibility and that not only are yeah. you handing someone a donut, you're making eye contact and you're having a yes. meaningful exchange with someone who's a person. Yes. I want to get to yes. one more while we still have time, valuable sure. tip. And I think the most valuable one for me personally. And again, this is all about me. Uh, the only way to get through something in your life is to go through it. There are no shortcuts. And don't be confused into thinking self-medicating is going to help you get through it or to uh, go outside a relationship to help you get through it. The only way to get through it is to go through it. And that's so valuable. And I I think to teach kids that, that there's no escaping momentary pain uh, in many places in life. Yes, yes. Well, and and I'll be completely transparent. I started seeing a therapist oh, about two years ago because I realized I had a backstory of pain mm. and abuse and suffering. And I was I felt like a kid again in New York going, I'm fine. I'm good. Mm-hmm. No problem. I got right. this. And I didn't because everything felt like it was impacting me with the pandemic. And I felt like I was crumbling and I needed to process and learn how to be more in tune to my emotions and not be overreacting. And it was the best decision I've ever made. Mm -hmm. It sounds like what you're saying is that for a lot of people, they had pushed the pain below the surface, you know, just enough, but the pandemic Mm -hmm. just pulled it right out and there was no place for it to go or for them to. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, it was maybe the impetus to get the healing that they had been putting off. I Definitely. hope I always want to look at the bright side of, of every situation and say, well, what, you know, what good came of this? And hopefully that was one where it was like, I can no longer ignore how I'm feeling. I need to yes. s- seek help. And I, I did notice uh, more and more articles online about, uh, especially Gen Z, this mm-hmm. generation really speaks up and says, I need a mental health day or I'm not okay and I'm not doing well. And I feel like that inspired other people all different ages to do the same because it's really important. If you are not mentally well now as a teenager, a college student, where are you going to be as an adult? And if and adults need to give them a platform and listen because enough students have reached out to me to say, I feel like adults don't listen. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have no one to talk to. I just want to be heard and or I need some advice. So I feel that it's a time to really be compassionate and connect. Absolutely. And thank you so much for, for joining us. We, we really appreciate thank it. We repeat for everybody where they can find your books. Uh, sure. Well, you can look on Simon & Schuster. Um, both books are on there. Get the Funk Out. They're, I mean, they're everywhere. They're on Amazon, uh, wherever you get books. Uh, but if you Google Get the Funk Out, Janine Bernstein, uh, or Better Humans, Janine Bernstein, you'll find When's it. the Better Humans come out? 
August 15th, 2023. Okay. Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, so well, it was Thank a pleasure you. to talk to you. It was great. But both on this your on your interview and our interview, it was uh, really a, a wonderful time. Thank you so much. Continued success to you, Janine. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. It's a joy. Thank you. This talented lady is an actor in film and television and voice. She's best known for her role as Frau Farbissina. In all three Austin Powers movies, she was the domineering counter to Mike Myers' Dr. Evil. She also plays Linda Schwartz on ABC's The Goldbergs. She got a primetime Emmy nomination for her web series, Con Man. She played bitter neighbor Mitzi Kinski in Desperate Housewives. She's done a zillion teen dramas, iCarly and Nickelodeon, Principal Susan Skidmore on Disney Channel's Ant Family, the voice of Miss Ondive on Cartoon Network's Chowder. She did voices at Monsters University. Seriously, I look at your IMDb page, there are very few moments since you started your career in 1973 on Dusty's Treehouse when you haven't been working, Miss Mindy Sterling. But that's true, isn't it? You, you've just you've had a continuous string of uh, diversified successes. No, it, it, you know I've been very, very grateful and um, very lucky to you know when something ends, something comes up, and because I think that. That's all of our, as an actor, that's all of our um, concerns are, oh, okay, well, that's over. So now what? Mm-hmm. And um, and there's a lot of little, little things that, you know, come up and you're like, sure, I'll do it. I'll do it if it's right. And I feel good about it. But um, yeah, um, I'm not going to say anything bad about it. I'm going to be very grateful because I really, really am. Well, I want to go back to your childhood because you are a showbiz baby. Your dad was a nightclub comedian and your mom was a showgirl called Bookie. Please place us, if you would, in a typical day of your childhood household. <laughs> well, my mom and dad divorced when I was young. So, okay. um, yeah, so uh, that was that. Um, but my mom danced. My mother, she, during the day, she would work um, at an ear, nose, and throat doctor. And then um, she would uh, be, a, she was like a, a chorus dancer and in like uh, Miami Beach, which is where I'm from. Oh. And um, and then my dad, oh my gosh, my dad, um, he worked with Sheppy Green, Sammy Shore, and um, he was, he's got the most magnificent voice, like singing voice you've ever want to hear. And well, he, um, so he was like Shecky. He would sing and and be a comic. And he was, he was yeah, like a cabaret kind of, performer. But I think like I think like Shecky, Shecky was the main one. And my dad mm-hmm. was more the, um, um, you know, kind of the the neutral one. So mm-hmm. he was not Shecky was the comedian. My dad was but my dad was more than that. Yes, he mm-hmm. was more than that. And so then he worked with um, Sammy Shore mm-hmm. and then um, and then um, uh, Ray Bommel from Miami and then he just kind of after a while got went on his own he did a lot of um work on Miami Beach and then he would do you know he would get things like condominiums or you mm-hmm. know all, all that kind of stuff so he he had his own show you know for himself and did his own stuff mm-hmm. and and was you know did very well um and uh yeah so I mean I was around people that made me laugh Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So you that was what you knew you wanted to do. You wanted to make people laugh. You wanted to go into this type of lifestyle. Well, there wasn't anything else I was really good at. Mm-hmm. Well, you're very good and, at this. You know, and you find yourself going, um, I think the first thing I did was in the sixth grade. I was in Mikado 
and um, I, you know, very attractive Asian girl. Yes, and I had a singing part, and I just went, "Oh my God, I have to do this! I have to do this more." And so when I got, and that was like in um, sixth grade. So then when I got into um, um, in high school and stuff, I mean, I found I found those people were my people. They got me. They made me laugh, or you know, I just because I was like kind of I wasn't a very studious person. I wasn't. Um, I didn't get great grades, <laughs> and it wasn't because I wasn't trying. It just wasn't my thing. And um, but boy, I, I lightened up and lit up, and like you know, when I found people that I. I just could get, they could get me. I understood what, you know, what this was all about. And that was the the time that I thought, oh yeah, okay. I'm going to have to decide, do I want to go to New York or do I want to go to California? Mm, Did your parents discourage it at all or encourage Not at all. Oh, that's great. Not at all. I'm really, really lucky. I've had um, incredible um, support from family and friends and things. And, uh, you know, my mom was, well, my mom was, you know, she was a dancer and she would pose a lot. <laughs> so it'd be like, you know, Mindy, do this, you know? And then, um, and then, and then of course my dad, well, I was following in his footsteps sort of, and, um, they couldn't have been like, whatever you want, whatever you want to do. So my mother said, just promise me you'll take typing mm, just yeah. in case <laughs> yeah i don't think you're you know officially a jewish mother unless you encourage the typing because it's just <laughs> you know with typing and i wasn't and i i did it i did it and uh i wasn't and then when i came out here um you know i had to work so um i think the first job i went to was um it was in hollywood and i went door to door and this only was for a day door to door selling um turquoise jewelry Oh. oh, that's so awful. So Bless needless to say, and I was a naive little blonde girl. So needless to say, that just terrified me. Ooh, yeah. And, and um, so later on, I did, I thought, well, what are my strengths that I can, you know, I can go into an office and I could be a um, light typing and be a receptionist because I was always really good and social. And um, so I did that for a while until they realized, oh, you're missing a lot here. You're going out on auditions and blah, blah, blah. And I go, yeah. And they said, well, you're going to have to make a decision. What do you want to do? Do you want to do this or do you want to act? And I was like, um, I think I'm going to act. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. I remember turning away and just sobbing. Like, <laughs> what am I going to do? What am I going to do? But wasn't um, it great for us boomers who knew how to type once the internet became a thing? Like, we yeah, were. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it is. We it, were gold. Yeah. I I wish I was better at it, but you know, I mean, I did a lot of that. That what is it? That the the, the white book that you white out, yeah. white out, white out. Sure. Yeah, that was my favorite. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so, God, that was but, time consuming um, and labor intensive having to do all that. Yeah, or making the, a mistake and having to type the page all over again. Oh that was God, awful. what oh, we I went did through that many times, yeah. many many times. Yeah. I'm just not. I'm you know doing things it's even like with the phone oh my god i can't even begin to <laughs> tell know. you it's so like, much the things that I, I i type and the things that i text people and they're like mindy do you know what you wrote you need to read them first <laughs> that's always good advice read yeah. before you hit send yes. now i yes. would love for you because i'm reading your imdb page and i'm fascinated i would love for you to please describe dusty's treehouse Dusty's Treehouse was a, a kid's show out here. So it was, you know, uh, they started it in, in L.A. 
and um, Stu Rosen was, he was the, the Dusty, and he had a treehouse, yeah. and it was all these puppets and people coming in. It was a kid show, and somehow I entered his world, and I re- and such a lovely man, and I remember that he told me, you know, you're going to work when you're older, because I was like, you know, in my early 20s, and um and which was nice to hear, you know, like at the time, like, ugh, how about now? And but you 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 have to remember that you you start somewhere and then you will eventually get old and then hopefully you still you've gotten bigger and better. Absolutely. Your chops are sharper and now you look like, you know, the lady who lives next door and you know, what have you. So yes. you were a product of the Groundlings. Talk about that experience. Who who was in your class at the Groundlings? You know, the birthplace of most of the major comic talent in oh, America. No. I um, the Groundlings for me um, in my in my well, I, it's not so much that was in my class, but when I taught, it was some of the people that I taught that were like now they've moved on. But I'm I do remember getting um, I think John John Lovitz uh-huh. and Kathy Griffin. We we both kind of got into the main company into mm-hmm. the Groundlings like I think around the same time. Mm-hmm. So those were people. They weren't in my class. Um, so those were people that, uh, yeah, I moved up with, but for me teaching, when I ended up teaching, um, there were people like a lot of people from SNL, um, you know, John Lovitz, um, well, I didn't teach him though, Lisa Kudrow, um, and, um, Sherry O'Terry, Chris Kattan, um, people that are in now that, uh, I, you know, maybe a couple of classes with. So talk so, about that process, because I mean that's like going to boot camp in the military. You have to work your way up from phase one or whatever they call it, and then you go to two and three, then you get to the main stage, and then you become an instructor. Talk about that process. It's very, very structured. It's not just blah 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 blah. They have put together a very, very not complicated, but I think a very, very thorough way of looking at improv, creating characters writing, performing. So, um, you know, things have changed since I was there. I think I have one more extra, um, um, you know, class to to go through than I had to. And everybody starts at basic. So they all, you all get the same kind of information and tools to be given improv and how we do them. And um, then you're asked, Um, Well, you're not asked, but you're told you're ready to move on to the next level or, um, you know, we we think that you need more time. So we're going to ask you to repeat this level. So that happens. So then you so the first three classes are um, all about improv. Then you get to the to the uh, fourth and fifth class. And that's now it is about writing Mm -hmm. and performing. And that that goes on until you get to that last level where you put on two like um, advanced shows. Like it's like a show and your director helps you create it. And so it helps you pick out the ones that they think would, you know, do you best. And then the groundlings vote on you. Wow. Oh. And it's very hard. And I'll tell you what, it's very, very difficult. And again, so is the business and no one has given just because you went through the program, you know, you're not guaranteed to move, you know, through the program mm-hmm. like that. And if you are, good for you. You've learned a lot. You've gained a lot. 
But um, the hard part is, you know, saying, I'm sorry, but you were not chosen. And well, why? Why not? Well, I mean, look, comedy and, 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 and life, it's all subjective. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's a good you know, answer. It, it really is. And it's like, why aren't I on a big show? It's just so subjective. Right, right. So it's hard to tell these really hard workers. And um, and some of them, you know, they, they leave and, um, you know, the ground leads is dead to them mm. until they maybe come, you know, come back around. And then some of them have done, you know, very well for themselves. Mm. And maybe they're 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 in another part of me. They're more writers. Maybe they're more um, producers or. But I think the groundlings is unfortunately it's a long haul. But like anything, you love it, you do it, and you hope for the best. And it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. Are any of the characters that you ended up doing in movies like The Frau products of characters you invented during your time at the Groundlings? Well, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think that you find characters that you do and um, have fun with them, whether it be at an audition. It's a lot of times at an audition, they don't want you to, you know, they don't want you to go big and broad. Everything mm-hmm. has to be very, very grounded. So you you, you pick pieces of things that, you, um, that you're comfortable with or that you know will work. And um, I love doing characters because... At an early age, I, I was very uncomfortable with myself. Oh. Well, I mean, and not in a bad way, just just I was shyer. And it was like, oh, my God, I could be somebody else. So you loved Halloween. I think I did. Now I hate it. Now I hate it, too. It's like, I just want to wear. <laughs> I don't dress up. I want to yes. be. I'm going to be a gap model for Halloween every year. That's all I ever want to be. <laughs> I love that. So you have a style and a tone that really works for kids and teens TV. What are what are now grown up folks most obsessed with you about when they approach you? The grown up folks now are, oh, my God, you were you were, you know, um, my youth. I watched you on um, iCarly. And uh, Ant Farm, and I mean, just as big as Austin Powers is, those are also very big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's amazing to me. And um, and I wasn't a uh, I wasn't a regular on him. I only did several, um, you know, episodes, but it was that big of a deal. And I have people who just go crazy. And so it's sometimes it's the young kids, and sometimes you know they've grown up. But I. I it stuck with them, and, and it's very fascinating. Yeah, because I, I think one of the things about TV for kids that are now in their 20s or 30s that's different from when we were growing up is it was maybe once and then a rerun, and that was it. But now kids can yeah. watch iCarly or Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. They watch these episodes like maybe 20 times. Yes. So they really know you. Well, and they, yeah, I mean, because they run forever. Yeah. I mean, you know, iCarly still runs somewhere. So you have, you know, the things that and and kids, it's, you know, yeah, things are a little different, but funny is funny to them. Right. Lots of huge stars born out of those shows, too. The Selena Gomez's and all that. Oh, my God. So, you know, the girl from iCarly wrote that book about being happy that her mom is dead. So tell us what you know about that. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah. Well, oh, it's 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 she's absolutely my hero. Mm. I I loved her on, on the show. She, to me, was the most, um, probably because she had to do it for so long, <clears throat> but she was the friendliest and um, truly, like, uh, such a professional. And I always liked her. And um, then um, when I found out 
that she, she was doing, oh, she was doing a um, one-woman show and um, based on the, the book. Mm-hmm. And I went to see her and I was like, I'm, you're, you are amazing. She, her writing, her performance, she, she just, I mean, if you, if you read the book, yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's just a little bit disturbing, but what she's gained from it. And um, unfortunately her mother was the one that really pushed her into, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. And never really gave, and you know, her the opportunity to go, I don't want to. Mm. Did you see that stage mom thing on those shows where her kids required their parents to drive them there? Was there the big stage mom syndrome going on around you? Well, I mean, you know, when I when I go and and work um, or audition for commercials or anything that are that that they have kids, I just I just sit there and I observe a lot because I'm a mom, mm-hmm. and um, I watch what happens. And I'll never forget there was one audition that I was at. It was for a, a, a movie, and I knew the woman, um, her son, because I think they went to my son's school. And I remember her going over to him and going, showing him on the phone or something. Um, this is your, your grandmother. This is, um, you know, your grandmother who's dead. And it was the funeral or something. So she could get him to cry. Mm. Oh, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. And I was like, I, I, don't, I think I even, I might have even said something in the, um, in the audition going, okay, I'm so sorry, but I'm having a problem right now. I yeah. was so honestly, like, absolutely, hum- it was horrible to me. Wow. And, and you watch these kids and look, I love kids and animals on, in shows and stuff. I'm a huge, huge, big advocate of that, but they have to really want it mm-hmm. and they have to really, um, have a sense of it. And so you've got to watch the parents to see which one really wants it more. And some of them are great. I did a commercial, um, you know, not too long ago and it was great. And his mom was wonderful. And, you know, so who am I to say that? But um, when, yeah, I don't want to see how they make them cry or, you know, are they going to have dinner tonight because they did, you know, a great job or not? Oh, yeah. I mean, you you can read books by Jackie Cooper about how they told him his dog was dead and then mm-hmm. he did the shot. Wow. And then they said, oh, your dog's fine. That's just not. Well, and you uh, also hear from a lot of, you know, um, there was, I don't know, I guess several years ago, there was a, um, several um, actors and actresses who were kids. That, you know, they were um, very, very successful as, as kid actors and and how they felt they were treated and it, it's not it's not a glorious and glamorous Mm-mm. place for a kid no it's a lot of bragging i i think a bragging rights for the moms like one day and this is a while ago fritz i was walking with your two kids on we live on a cul-de-sac we got to the end of the cul-de-sac where there's a basketball court and his fritz's two kids were bouncing a ball and there was a kid there and obviously they were filming something and the mother said you know he was in losing isaiah well there was a baby in that movie. He, you know, was a he was a baby, and she's like, now he's making a commercial. And I said, do you want to shoot some baskets with, with these kids? Because you know he was by himself doing a commercial, and there were kids his age. And somebody said, oh no, he might damage his gear. And I'm like, what? What's your gear? He's like, my clothes. 
<laughs> my clothes. Yeah. Oh my god. So they had him oh outfitted, my- and like they, he wasn't allowed to play. It just, I don't know. What are we doing to the circuitry of their growing minds and development? I don't know. We, we've interviewed several child stars on here, like from the Brady Bunch and and my three sons, and the most grounded ones, the ones that have had you know reasonable adult lives are the ones where their parents said, if you want to do this, we will support you. But it was the decision that came from the child, and that was the healthiest way to do it. And I've talked to you, I like to talk to some of the parents or the mothers and go, so how did how did this happen? You know, and um, usually it's more than one kid in the family. So, you know, mm-hmm. Brent, his older brother, is doing it, and then, you know... Um, um, Sam is the younger one. Is like, yeah, I do it too. And, but I think it's the parents that really have to make sure that these kids have a kid's life too. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, the business is so seductive in terms of horrors, in terms of horrible things that can happen to you or that can be you know, look interesting and very exciting, but they're not good. And a parent and a kid, you know, it's just, it's a hard place to to be in. And I mean- And it have, looks more attractive to the parent than to the kid. The parents seeing dollar signs and well, we can pay the house off and the kid just wants to have a life, as you say. Well, it can seem attractive to a kid who's watching TV and seeing kids on TV mm-hmm. and saying, oh, I'd want to do that. But once they try it, if they don't like it because they might damage their gear, you know, <laughs> listen to them. I know. It's just so seductive for the parents to be able to say he was in Losing Isaiah. Like, okay, that's that's you owning his life. Let him have his mm-hmm. own his exactly. own story. So, Fritz, you have you, you had kids. Did did they ever want to do anything? Yes. My two sons, uh, we, we, we got uh, sort of seduced into trying that when they were younger and beautiful blonde children uh back when that was a a positive factor in the entertainment business we would take them around on auditions and it was always a bad sign that showed their lack of enthusiasm when they'd go in to do a reading or something and they'd yawn all the way through it the guy said well these kids obviously don't want to be here and they they, but you know what thank god that that was like something uh, that all right great we're not absolutely absolutely right either of them could particularly the older one if he wanted to and he really frustrated me. He could have written. I mean, he had many ways he could have he been a talent. So he was so deadpan funny, this kid. He was the funniest member of the family. And, yeah. But he, he, he just didn't, he didn't seek the, you know, the... What, is he, what does he do now? Uh, he, let's just say he's, uh, he's considering his options. He's in Denver considering his options. He's doing and a little construction work. 36, I know. Oh. Any day now, we expect stuff to... Anyway. We're all different. But he, he, he had some other issues, but I love him to death. But he was the one who I thought, you know, it would not be pushing him uh, cruelly to sort of direct him toward show business, but he just didn't, didn't have that desire. Well, well my son, yeah, my son, I have a, I have a, a, a 28-year-old son who's on the spectrum, uh, autistic spectrum. And... Um, he he took a groundling class, you know, when he was a teenager. Oh, good for him. And I know it, and he had such a great time, but he said, Mom, I just keep laughing. And <laughs> it's okay. But and, the fact and, that, you know, kids on the spectrum, one of their, one of their um, uh, problems can be their lack of the ability to socialize. And how brave of him to want to be in front of an audience or around other people at the groundlings. Right. 
and then wait. Then at some point, I don't know, we were talking about something. And I said, what do you want to do? And he goes, I think I want to do stand up. Now, I'm not a stand up performer. I've never done stand up. That scares the hell out of me. He said, I want to do stand up. And I was like, okay. And of course, it was like, what can I do to help mom? Mom, this is what he always says to me, mom. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I got him in a class and it was near where we live. And um, he wouldn't show me anything beforehand, had no idea what kind of stuff he was going to do. And um, so I brought you know a bunch of my friends because uh, you know uh, autistic kids don't really have friends except on the computer yes. yeah. <laughs> and so it's like all my friends who love him and Aww. um he we were hysterical we he was so funny because his point of view is from being autistic wow wow this and is a brave child i'm proud laugh. of i'm proud of him for you <laughs> oh my god i mean i have it i have it on you know um uh, you know, my I think my brother um, videotaped it on his phone. It was amazing. And then he said um, he started going to um, uh, open mic night. And he said after after he couldn't get get, get in or couldn't audition or whatever. Um, he said, I, I don't want to do this. That's a cruel. Hard. Wheezy will tell you she experienced it. It's and I hard. experienced it when I first came out here. It is a cruel thing that has nothing to do with your talent. You're playing. Exactly. Through a- and that's what I said to him. I said, I said, Max, do you know that? He goes, nobody left. You know, I go, you yeah, know, it's all other comics. It's 30 other comics they, who are worse well, than exactly. you. Exactly. I said, it's because this isn't a, this isn't um, a, a show. This is they're, everybody's thinking about themselves and they're looking at you going, are you funnier than me? Blah, blah, exactly. Blah, blah, blah. And, and they're planning, oh. and they're planning their own set. They're not yes. an audience. No. But a lot of open micing is just socializing with other people, and that might be not his thing. And yeah, so, if not. he could just do the performing, you know, that would be awesome. But it's this whole process that you have to go yeah. through. But help me understand something, because I, I was under the understanding that like uh, uh, people on the spectrum can be very literal meaning that they, they don't understand sarcasm and things. So tell me yep. some of his jokes or what, you know, how he was crafting, you know, his act. Well, um, I don't know. There was, and now it's like, I can't remember because it was, they were so different. Mm-hmm. They were just so different about there was some, some, uh, I think his first time that he, you know, lost his virginity and, you know, some of the things are like, and she has, um, she has, um, um, I think it's multiple sclerosis or something. I mean, so it was just his way of just saying things. And they're very, very honest. Yes. They're very honest. And so <laughs> they don't, you know, they don't pussyfoot around. It's like boom, but boom, boom, boom. And um, it was just, it was just funny. You know what? Maybe, maybe what I could do, if you don't mind, I'll send you guys a copy. Oh, I would <laughs> love that. Maybe. I'll send you a video so you can, you can see it privately. And because I'm so proud of him. Yeah. And um, well, Weezy has spent her whole career mentoring young children, including stand ups. And she's got uh, some great success stories. She has a special affinity for being able to deal with young comics. Well, I would teach stand up as just kind of like a creative sort of like self-esteem and creative thinking uh, to teenagers. And it became mostly therapy. Because where do you get your jokes? You yeah. get your jokes out of their li- out of your life. So yes. they would talk yes. about their lives. Yes. And the next thing you know, instead of cr- we craft a joke, but we're talking in a circle. And mostly boys are drawn to stand up because girls do this thing that I call cocooning, where they might be in my class until they hit puberty. 
and then right. they're gone. Like, the, like they're gone. Like, I, and at first I would resist it and I would say, come on. And then I just kind of accepted that it's just excruciating for them to stand there with people staring at them. They can do group things. They can do improv. They can do plays. Well, they girls can... want to be with girls. Well, they just can't stand alone on a stage for yes. between 14 and 18. They just can't do it. So don't. They're awkward. Don't. They, I told, I, but they I come back. They'll come yes. back. But right. boys will sit there in the class and talk about things that boys usually don't talk to each other about. But with me there as a catalyst, you know, they're thinking constantly. And so I found it was it was therapeutic. And plus, they learned how to do stand-up comedy, not be afraid of public speaking, think of their lives as maybe fodder for a joke rather than pain only pain yes yes yeah i'll tell you i'm I'm so impressed with what you're telling me and it probably is a product of your supportive and wonderful and warm parenting uh mindy because first of all i I have a a little cousin who is on the spectrum and i mean there are degrees of it that's why they call it the spectrum but but her terror of her life is interacting with strangers so for the fact that your son had the guts to get up in front of a room full of strangers which is gut-wrenching even for professional comedians absolutely to get up there and, and and not only that to bear his soul and be honest about his experiences is pretty darn remarkable it really is. Well, he's, you know, he's pretty remarkable. He is, um, we adopt, my ex and I adopted him at birth. Mm-hmm. So I got to be in the room when he came out. And, you know, his birth mother was like, okay, here you go. And um, and the nice thing is, is he got my personality. Uh-huh. Because I'm very, I'm very animated. I'm very social. And um so, and as we have formed this incredible relationship, he doesn't really have that relationship with his dad. Okay. And he lives with me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, you know, I call myself the, um, the annoying mom. And I, if you go on my Instagram, I do a lot of um, talking to him and interviewing <laughs> him on things. And he just, you know, he just, he just, I go, Max, can I, can I videotape you now? He goes, all right. And, <laughs> uh, and, but he, but he's so honest and so earnest when he's, when he's talking to me and we always end with, end the um, videos with, I love you. And he says, I love you too. Oh my God. And I know I'm telling you, he's like my everything. And, um, and he will, he's so supportive of me and he lets me know when I'm having a bad day or blah, blah, blah. But he goes, do you want a hug? There's oh, so my. many things about it because it's who I am. Right. And there's so, not that he'd have to be that way, but my friends and you know this is a business this this entertainment business that um you you gravitate to and he my friends adore him mm-hmm. he is so comfortable with all of my crazy funny goofy friends and the one thing that he loves his passion more than anything is um professional wrestling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean that's his he wants to, what he wants to do is he wants to do a podcast on wrestling. Okay. But he probably finds zillions him, of listeners. But getting to, getting him to, you know, get to that place where he's got to do the hard work. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hard. That's it's hard. Really I mean, hard. because he might need a partner because podcasting is, is a lot of work. It, it can be. I agree. Yeah. And um, I, he does not, you know, again, he's like, he doesn't really want one. Mm-hmm. And he wants to. And I said, well, what are you going to do with it? And he said, um, well, I just want to be able to talk to, uh, to people and tell people about wrestling that maybe they don't know it enough or, you know, 
find like well, a podcast would be perfect. Plus, if he has an entertainment bent, like he likes to have people hear his opinion, that's a way. Because you know, the conundrum with show businesses, and I, I'm sure it would be even worse with a child on the spectrum, is the rejection involved in real show business. If he decided he wanted to do it, would he be able to, you know, accept the way you're just tossed out of the office with no response? Uh, when you have a podcast, you can kind of grow and you're in your own environment there. Well, and also too, I know so many people that you know would love him or blah 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 because the things that we do on Instagram, people have said, "Oh my God, why don't you have a show? Oh. Why aren't you you on YouTube?" Wow. And I said to him, "You know, I said, well, I don't know." And Max at first did not want to do it with me at all, and because you know it's like, and then um, I uh, and then I asked him again, and uh, he's and I said, "Well, you know, Max doesn't want to do it with me." And he goes, "No." That's not true. It's just very hard to do YouTube and be successful. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm not disagreeing with you that, but you know, let's, we could try it and, and start it. And it's like, and I would do anything to help him. Mm-hmm. I would do anything mm-hmm. to make him feel good about himself or to let the world know, because I'm telling you, his, 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 his way of looking at the world, some of it is really dark. But he's such an advocate for autism. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like a lot of autistic people because he needs somebody that um, can teach him how to do certain things or to be a certain way. He doesn't want to have to be with someone that makes him uncomfortable. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Of course. He's, you know, because he's still building self. So he's got to focus that. He can't help someone else build themselves. He's really focused on building but self. But w- what about a podcast uh, that includes his challenge? Because just, you know, you don't have to offer advice. I don't think he likes that. I don't oh, think he doesn't that like his... to talk about it? He just wants to talk he, about he wrestling, does. Fritz. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, you guys, he does. I mean, if I, there's one thing that I did, um, I'll have to send you a bunch of stuff. The one thing that I did, and I said, uh, Max, can you tell me uh, about being autistic? What is the, the some of the things about being autistic that people just don't know? And he's like, well, people think that we don't have a lot of um, emotions and feelings, but we really do. We just don't know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. And that's and it. And I'm like, I'm learning so much. And, but he, that isn't a passion. Right. You know what I mean? And so it's um, just a challenge. He loves he loves um, wrestling. He loves wrestling so much. And he um, I have taken him. He got me into it. I've taken him to meet wrestlers and um, they've just loved him. And um, so I've just got to get him. And again, I'm the only one. I'm his mom. Right. And it's like, you know, it's and people have said things, but he has to in his mind go. You know, it's that um, I think I have it, too, as, as AD&D people, ADHD people have. It's this, um, um, what is it? It's, it's, it's something dysfunction. It's um, where you can't, you, it's, you, you, it's you know ga- what you have to do? What? It's a gateway dysfunction. Executive dysfunction? My, 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 no, but it's, it's yeah. something, and it's like, you know, I, you know I, I know that I have to do this, mm-hmm. this, uh, th- th- this, you know, sh- the show with you, but oh, God. Well, I here's just... what I'm going to recommend. Podcasting is hard, and there's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through. If you start by just making videos with your phone, don't post them. Just every day pick up and say, hey, it's time to start your show. Do a two-minute episode and keep, like, Keep them on your phone or his phone. And once you have 10, say, hey, Max, do you want to post? Let's start a YouTube channel. Do you want to post one of these? 
And it's, so it's just getting him into the rhythm of doing a show every day and yeah. just say, we're not putting it up. We're just getting in. It's just all these are all dress rehearsals because that's YouTube is so much easier than podcasts because you anyone can post a video. You don't need special microphones. You don't have to submit them through these platforms so that they're accepted by Apple Podcasts. It's just YouTube. And it could start the way you're already doing it, where you ask him questions about it to get him to express himself. That's sort of that would be a crutch. And then he'll get some confidence and maybe do it on his own. Well, that is all so beautiful. And if it was coming from you guys. <laughs> You know what I mean? If I can go, Max, I've got some people I want you to meet. Well, it's, play I him feel, this show. And then like, this is, I wait. Want, yeah. <laughs> I know because I, um, I just, it's, I'm mom. Right. I mean, you all know, I mean, as parents, you're, I'm mom. I'm like, mom, mom, stop, mom. He's, you know, so it's, I have to back off. And, um, and then, you know, people may but say. But he doesn't really but, want you to back off. He, he, you know, you're the most important person in his life. He's just, yes. he's also, he's trying to move into adulthood. But if you do what Weezy says, and then maybe you start out asking him a couple of questions and then he'll say, wow. Just bank them. We're banking these. Yeah, We're putting these on the phone. Idea. They're not going anywhere until we sit down one day and look at all 10 of them and decide, hey, let's post one of these. And yeah, see and what you're right. YouTube what is happened, better. What happened? Yeah. 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 No, he's, I mean, it's, it would be a shame if, you know, cause I always say, you know, before I die, I really would love to see. Aww, of course. <laughs> well, is, is he self-sustained other than that? I mean, can he cook for himself or does he have a job? Oh, he's or? a good cook. Uh -huh. He doesn't drive. He's a good cook. He doesn't drive. He, um, I can leave him here with the, the animals, you know, if I'm away uh, all day and all that kind of stuff. He's very, he's just starting. This is what I love about him. He's just starting to take care of his body. Hmm. He's, um, we, we go to PT together because we both have flat feet and other things that, you know, are hurting us. Um, I'm going to make, we're going to get a physical. Um, he said to me last night, I just love him. He said to me last night, he goes, you know, mom, there, there was a couple of years there where I was saying, I don't, um, I don't care if I die at 40. Mm. And I would be like, when I remember hearing that and I'd be like, oh, please don't tell me that. And he said, I will never kill myself, but I would probably eat myself to death because he's, he's a little hunk, you know, heavy. And, um, and when he said that, he goes, but now, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm so glad that you're, so I try, I, I want to let him sort of be and come to me mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and want something. He's starting to do more things on the phone. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like the phone, but it's like, None of us really like the phone now. No, God. no mm -hmm. we don't like you the phone. You know, I mean, you know, to, to pick it up and make a reservation for something. Oh, yeah. So, I'm happy talking can, to people I know, that. but I don't want to have to make a call and have and bother anybody. Well, thank you know? goodness he has uh, a, 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 an aware mom who is his primary caretaker like you are because you sound like the perfect mom for a child that has those challenges. You're well, doing a great job. I'm going to ask you one oh, question about yourself. Yes, you, you can cavell about your child because you deserve to. And uh, and it's just it. This is very touching and heartwarming to hear about your relationship. But according to IMDb, you often play villainous authority figures. What do you suppose prepared you for this type of work? <laughs> I know it's so funny because I think um, you know I think just the kind of person I am, and as I've gotten older, I've gotten more. I feel more powerful and more secure, and and so and I do have this you know intensity with my voice. And blah, 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 blah. And yet at the same time, I love playing like sweet people. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe know, the Frau character got you typecast. 
And well, you know, maybe, but I, it's, it is, it's because I, when I was blonde, I was, I, I was like, you know, it's, a, I was like a, a, an, I thought I was an ingenue. <laughs> and, and then I, as I grew up, it's just for some reason, I have this, this way about me. And I love playing horrible people, but I don't want to do that all Only. the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe your, your version of a villain is like with a twinkle. So that no one's. Oh, I love that. With yeah. A yeah. 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 Oh, I like Evil that. I like that. Now, let me ask you this. Will there ever be another Austin Powers movie? Every once in a while, somebody puts something on social media talking about Mike Myers, and would that happen? Every every year, this happens. We yeah. hear about something coming up. Okay. The only thing that I can say is that when we did, we did, you know, that the, the commercial um, for the Super Bowl last year. That was huge. Huge. And he came into my dressing room and he said, you know, he said, first of all, thank you for coming. And I was like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> and he said, I I want to I want to make another one. And I went, OK. <laughs> and he said, <laughs> because and I would like to do it um, from Dr. Evil's point of view. And I went, oh, that would be great. And and I don't know. I don't hear anything. I don't know. I was talking to somebody, you know, I mean, I, I don't know about the business business part of doing a film or something. You know, there's, there's, um, I guess, who wants to make it? How much money is it going to be? There's, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I doubt that he, he. I mean, sure, he's either written it or he's writing it, because he, he really made it sound like that, that we need to do it. Fine, he's looking for backing, right? And those were very lucrative. Every one of those films was huge. Yeah, and it's like, but it's a different, you know, time, and and um, uh, you know, there's so much going on in the world, and I think he wanted to do it to we need more laughter we need we need stuff like that mm -hmm. so i'm i literally am just always thinking um it's gonna happen it's gonna happen it's gonna happen i just want it to happen before i die <laughs> oh, please i think it's gonna happen um and uh, you, you've done because you've diversified which is the best way to survive in show business you've done the extremes you'll be in a room by yourself and do a voice for an animated feature but you perform in front of a live audience with the groundlings. Which one do you find most soul enhancing? Oh, uh, the improv with the groundlings. I mean, that I am not very good at memorizing. I have always not been very, very good. And, it, and as I'm getting older, it really is not good. And it's, I just, I have anxiety and I just, I blank. And so, um, I, um, there's nothing more than I want to hear. Oh, and don't worry about it. You can, you know, improvise if you don't. Thank you. So <laughs> improv to me, improv to me, and for some people, improv would be horribly, horribly scary. For me, oh my God, I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be in my own. It's just from doing it for so many years, from trusting people, from listening and and, and having a connection. And it's all about teamwork i'm a teamwork person that's why stand up is oh my god i couldn't be by myself and write it and perform it and it's oh a my lonely god. horrible death and uh, but i'm <laughs> i'm a great host you know i can yeah. get out there and i can host and not worry about it but um oh no 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 i'm not going to make all, all the jokes was there so, any improvisation on austin powers because mike myers has you know, uh, the, the improv not that much i mean not with very little with me i know he, he did a lot with um seth you know when he went <laughs> they did all of that together but it 
just a little bit of it, but not that much, you know. Um, and, you know, my my job for me was just want to make him laugh. I want him to lose it, just uh, like. The best you know, scenes were so when you and he were together. Those are my favorite parts of those films. I just love it. He, I mean, he has said such lovely things about me. Mm. And um, I, will, I will never, ever forget how kind he has been to mm. me and the fact that. I was in three of his films and God, I hope that there's another one too. But, uh, you know, you know, it's just one of those things where luck came Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I've done a couple of films that have done very well and the Grinch and it's just, you know, and it's like, Oh my God. I mean, I keep forgetting Mindy, you know, these things are still very, very, you know, people still talk about them. Yes. Because those are movies that people watch on repeat. Yeah. yeah, especially Christmas made, with the Grinch, and they may know every line of Austin Powers movies. Yeah, and, yeah. and so that that's just top of mind. I mean, people see your face and they know who you are and what you've been in because they've watched it a hundred times. No, <laughs> and it's it's awesome. I love walking around. I love being recognized. I'm one of those people that if a day goes by that I'm not recognized, I get sad. <laughs> wow, bad oh. weather. We're gonna have to plant you at a busier corner. So, so who? <laughs> yes. I always love to ask people who have achieved a certain amount of fame, who were your heroes when you were a child in the entertainment business? And did you ever have the honor of working with a person who was your hero formerly? Oh, wow. Gosh. Well, I, I, I really was like, my dad was like, oh, uh-huh. you know, he, he just was, I'm so, so, it was so in awe of him. Um, well, I loved um, Carol Burnett. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I loved Lily Tomlin. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I love Danny Kaye. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh He's God. so what great. You know what I mean? I mean, those were the, the kind of, you know, films that I would watch or things. I mean, anything that, you know, was like, oh my God, that's like my dad or, um, so it was more, it was, I guess more, you know, animated, more bigger than, uh, than, um, uh, you know, than grounded. And then as I've gotten older, because I've always had people go, Mindy, dial it down, dial it down. <laughs> um, as I've gotten older, that's what I'm I'm really trying to do is to still not lose who I am, but not be. I, I'm not performing in on theater. In theater, you know, you've got a you've got a camera here. It's like on top of you, mm-hmm. and blah blah blah. So you have to find find those moments and right. stuff. But it's. I think it's better to start big and pull back than to yeah. be told. You know, we need more. Like more what? Um, we're going to have to wrap up. We've just had such a joy uh, and a treat to speak with you, and um, we're so grateful. Is there anything that you would love people to know about yourself or your presence online uh, before we I wrap up with the closing credits? Well, let's see. My Instagram is Mindy Stir S T E R, and I'm not really that much on um, uh, what you call it, Twitter. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's not my thing, and um. I, uh, oh, this, I don't know. What, when is this airing? It'll post on Thursday. Okay, so um, starting this Thursday and every Thursday in March, uh, the Groundlings is celebrating 30 years <gasps> of a show, an improv show that we have done called Cooking with Gas. Okay. And it has been 30 years, very, very successful. So we are celebrating that with a lot of amazing people that are going to be improvising and I'm going to be improvising in some of the stuff I'm going to direct at the very end of the month. And we've got a lot of surprise. Are you doing it at the Groundlings theater? Groundlings theater here. Yeah. 
You know, the government is coming for that. They, no more gas. It's not, you're not, no. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I heard. Like, they, hey, I, would, I would encourage that they get tickets like really, really soon because it's going to start to, you know, um, sell out. And I'm actually doing one this Thursday night. I'm going to be <gasps> in it performing. Oh, OK. Well, this will be on online Thursday morning. So as you're listening to my voice, go on, go to groundlings.com. And do cooking for gas before the government shuts it down because gas is, I don't know, it, it's according to uh, our Republican friends, they're coming for our gas stoves and they're going to come for the groundlings next because that's what I that's what I hear. Oh, Be boy. alarmed. Oh, boy. Listen, we, 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 Mindy, we, we just appreciate uh, how forthcoming you were about your relationship with your son. It was so touching. I hope that was OK. No, it was on. fantastic. I'm, it was real I mean, and like human. The, He's oh, everything no. to me. No, I, and so I, I do I do love to talk. We, we, I love but but what a wonderful advocate you are and I we understand your pride and it was really a very touching moment in the show and thank you for being that honest. Well, I'm gonna send you I'm gonna send you some stuff, you guys, because you Please. know you're you're involved in my lives. Yeah. Please and, do. Um so yeah, so I'm gonna do that and um and hopefully um Fritz uh, hopefully I can see you again um with Kathy You Lashley. saw me at my last performance at Vitello's when Carol Liefer was performing and you were in the audience. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. That, that place happy. is, they've, they've redone the whole thing. They've turned it into like this 50s cabaret with oh, really? like, like Frank Sinatra type performances. There's no more stand up there. And I'm very sad because Wendy oh. Liebman had a great ongoing show there. Oh. Is she doing doing it somewhere else? I, really I don't know at- if she is yet, but I, I hope she does. She's got, she, everybody in show business knows her. So it was easy for her to book a I great show. I think she's show. working with Carol Burnett again, according to Facebook. Seriously? What? Well, she always posts things, and that's what it says. Oh, okay. That's great. Well, that's wow. Yeah. There you go. I know. So here awesome. come our closing credits. Thank you so much for joining us. We would love to continue this conversation with you on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at MediaPathPod, and on Facebook, where our show page is MediaPathPodcast, and our Facebook group is MediaPath with Fritz and Wheezy Podcast Community. You can find full video podcast episodes loaded with bonus visual content on our YouTube channel, MediaPathPodcast. You can write to us at MediaPathPodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, please give us a nice rating in Apple Podcasts and talk about us on social media. And you can sign up for our saucy rag of a newsletter at mediapathpodcast.com. We want to thank our wonderful guests, Janine Bernstein and Mindy Sterling. Our team includes Dina Friedman, John Maddox, Sharon Bellio, Bill Filippiak, Thomas Hubble, Mason Brown, Garrett Arch, and you. Our theme music is by me and John Maddox. I am Louise Palanker, here with Fritz Coleman and Mindy Sterling. Be well and wise, and we will see you along the media path.